Welcome to episode 54 of Central Intelligence Cinema. Today, we've got an intel report for you, including our spoiler-full first impressions of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, part one. But for now, take it away, Pierce. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Natasha Romanoff. Ethan Hunt. Looks later. Elsa Faust. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Do you expect me to talk? I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. Yeah, baby! Special agent, you're not having a very special day, are you? But remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're doing? the British hand up, sir. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Recording from an undisclosed location, just like the last time, and the time before that, and the time before that, and the time before that. <laughs> it's a Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always, Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. And welcome back to the CIC, the internet's finest non-scholarly spy cinema and pop culture podcast, brought to you by two guys who should probably just be running a quick stop. <laughs> Jason, <laughs> Jason, how you doing today, man? Well, uh, technical <laughs> difficulties uh Aside, I'm doing fine, thank you. Alrighty then. Well, how about you? I'm, uh, you know, aside from all the shenanigans we had getting locked in, getting connected up. Uh, <laughs> you know, the problem with working in an undisclosed location is that IT can never find us when we need the help. That is true because we can't disclose to them the undisclosed location, and so it's just. They're very a, limited in their scope and what they can do for us over the secure uh, internet lines. Indeed, indeed. But, uh, you know, I am excited to be back because it's been a little while. I took a uh, took a little bit of a break because, you know, well, the road to reckoning was quite exhaustive. So, uh, yeah, it just felt good to, uh, you know, refresh, uh, recharge, all those good things. And now we're back to talk some mad, silly spy shit. Today we are breaking down a very few little bits and pieces of spy movie and TV intel. There's not a whole lot going on because, I mean, for those of you who are living under a rock, there is both an actor's and a writer's strike going on. And so things have kind of come to a screaming halt, really, as far as intel goes. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, we there's still plenty of stuff to watch in the hopper, but... Uh, indeed. By, by Christmas, if this hasn't been resolved, we may be talking about, you know, the 10 best bow ties that James Bond never wore or something <laughs> like that. Right, exactly. But we do have a couple of good discussions on board. First, we've got the uh, results of a uh, Bond Twitter poll that yours truly put out into the world. Oh, sorry, it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. It's what is X. That now? <laughs> it's X. <laughs> just trying to make it sound like an evil villain's. Uh, well, uh, I mean, that's really what he wants to be. So you know. I, anyway. know. I always thought of him more like Tony Stark than Lex Luthor. But oh, he's, you know, he's, what, I guess whatever you need. Yeah, but uh, so we'll be discussing the uh, Bond Twitter poll I threw out there, and then uh, we're gonna do our spoiler full first impressions of Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. 
full. Yes, big stress on the spoiler full. So if you haven't seen the movie yet and you're sensitive to spoilers, you should probably turn off the podcast once we get to this part. Yes, but not before because there'll be lots of fun and excitement and hilarity prior to getting to the spoiler full Indeed, indeed, indeed. It's a spoiler full review of the mouthful title. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I had to take a gasping breath after saying the title. But before we do all that, guess what, Jason? What, Ben? We got shout outs. We got shout outs. Shout outs. People still remember us after all this time? Well, you know, our... uh, (laughs) Shocking, I know. Right? You know, people seem to really like our little uh, Road to Reckoning. People really seem to like uh, having Marty McKillop on in our last episode. That's definitely been a highlight for me, having Marty on. Indeed. He was fantastic. And he can come back on the show anytime he wants. Well, (laughs) if he's okay having a hood over his head flying in a helicopter again, I got the feeling he wasn't super happy about that last time. But he was a good sport. He was a good sport. Well, I mean, I think so long as we give him the good drugs, I think he's fine with it. So that well, you know, I don't remember talking to him. I, I kept wondering if he got that hangover after the fact, but uh, yeah, sure, he would have let us know if the dosage was too high. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But yeah, we got lots of love for the uh, road to reckoning. We got an email from one of our longtime tens, <laughs> Mr. Chris W. Sent us an email actually saying, uh, "Hi guys, you know how much I enjoy this podcast. Every episode is great." but just want to say how much I really enjoyed the reviews of the Mission Impossible series. They are probably the best so far in the podcast. Thanks for doing a good job with the series. So oh, thank you, Chris. Great. That was yeah. super nice. Like yeah, really, really appreciate was super nice. And you're absolutely right. Every episode was great. indeed indeed we appreciate the acknowledgement (laughs) that's right also i would be remiss if i didn't include one of our other original tens agent steph who i chatted with almost immediately after we saw the movie over instagram and we'll be discussing our thoughts and her thoughts and a few other thoughts from friends of the podcast in our discussion coming up but uh Thanks for, uh, you know, chit-chatting it up. This is what we want. We want the interaction. Um, Absolutely. We got a uh, a tweet from at Nathaniel Witto, who uh, gave us some props for the uh, Rogue Nation review. I've been interacting with him quite a bit on Twitter, so thanks for listening and thanks for uh, giving us props there. Also, shout out to a gentleman named Gary Dexter, who's been showing us some love on the Twitter as well, representing Fort Worth, Texas. We got people everywhere now. We are we are worldwide. World Worldwide. <laughs> Prestige worldwide. <laughs> Speaking of worldwide, also a huge shout out to our newest listener in Germany at Shyamese Vodka. At Siamese Vodka tweeted to us, guys, I have listened to your back catalog the past weeks. Your episodes are really enjoyable. You have one new fan in Germany now. Keep up the good work. So thank you very much, Siamese Vodka. We really appreciate that. Also, shout out just in general to Ireland. Because we once keep, again. Once again, we are charting in Ireland. <laughs> We're constantly charting. You know how much I hate it when I charted. <laughs> so I got to change up my diet. 
So, <laughs> hey-o. <laughs> hey-o. But hey, if you want to show off your love of the CIC to your friends or family, why not visit our merch store? I just dropped a brand new shirt. We're calling it the uh, CIC Field Agent T-shirt. So uh, it looks very, uh, very smart, very legit. <laughs> uh, but you can find the link to our uh, merch store at the bottom of the show description of this very episode that you're listening to. But another way that you can show your love, which doesn't cost a thing, is you can like, follow, subscribe, and most especially review the podcast on your favorite provider. Those glowing five-star reviews will help us show up quicker in searches for hashtag silly spy shit. But uh, now that I've gotten all that stuff out of the way, should we, uh, should we jump into some intel? Let's do it. Looking for a news story? Impress me. Transmitting CIC Intel dossier. They'll print anything these days. Okay, time for some intel. So, our uh, first up, our favorite punchline movie. Ah, yes, Argyle. Argyle is back in the intel once more. Uh, it actually has a release date, allegedly. Allegedly. And allegedly, it's a real movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> a release date guarantees nothing. It really, yeah, exactly. But uh, according to uh, Deadline, Matthew Vaughn's Argyle will be released theatrically worldwide on February 2nd of 2024, before eventually, of course, making its way to Apple TV+. Plus. Just to remind everyone of some of the weird statements surrounding this film, in 2021, Vaughn told The Hollywood Reporter, quote, Apple believes in cinema and I believe in cinema, so we're discussing how to give it the right cinematic release, not necessarily the normal cinematic release. It'd be a cinematic release that is right for Argyle, and Argyle is quite specific and different. So weirdly, it lends itself to a whole new way of being released. End quote. You know... I don't know. <laughs> I quote the great John Lennon, I don't believe in Beatles, I just believe in me. He was a walrus, you know. I could be the walrus, and I'd still never get to see this motion picture. It's... uh. I have no idea what he's saying right there. Like, is it in he, 3D? Is it in dude, 3D? Is it a, it, is it? That couldn't have been more double speak if George Orwell had written it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Honestly, I'm hoping that either this makes us all look stupid for doubting Matthew Vaughn and the legitimacy of Henry Cavill's hair, or <laughs> I hope That's it, never going to be in doubt. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Or I hope it's so catastrophic that it's actually humorous in its failure, and we will take great, great joy in reviewing it in an upcoming episode. <laughs> uh, I mean, as long as it's taken this stupid thing to come out, I feel like we should just review it the day after we watch it. Yeah. But then again, we started talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning in one of our very first episodes ever of the CIC. Because <laughs> it's been that long since it's, it's been in production. Right. Oh boy, and we're finally now going to talk about it. I mean, if there's anything good to be said about the writers and actors strike, it's that they kind of have to release this if they run out of material at some point. Right. I mean, I'm like, are we going to get Batgirl back if this goes on long enough? I mean, who knows? It's just sitting there on a shelf somewhere. Exactly. You know, I, I still I, I still have very high hopes for this uh, Cavill hair notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, so I remain cautiously optimistic that at least there's a date that we can look forward to being disappointed on next year. 
<laughs> right. I mean, given the cast that is involved in this, I mean, you've got, there are so many people. I'm not going to list them all off again, but I mean, there's, you know, Samuel Jackson's in there. Just to name the biggest one, like for me, just the fact that he's in it, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. A lot of people got paid. A lot of money was spent. So hopefully something comes out next year. In Somebody wants to recoup it somewhere. Right, exactly. Yeah, hopefully we get to see something. Next up, and this is kind of timely because uh, next weekend on August 11th, we will finally get to see the Gal Gadot-led spy movie, Heart of Stone. Where, yay! Yay! Where she uh, plays secret agent Rachel Stone, uh, which also stars Aaliyah Batt as the, quote, rageful hacker. And I'm quoting total film here because normally I would never use the term rageful hacker for anything, but there you have it. Aaliyah Bat's character is named Kaya. Then we've got Jamie Dornan as the super dreamy MI6 agent Parker. Sophia Okanedo as an as yet named handler for Agent Stone. And then also we've got Matthias Schweighofer, Hopefully I said that correctly, who was in Army of the Dead. And then there was that spinoff with Schweighofer. Yeah, playing the same character. Yeah, playing the same character. And it was actually pretty decent. And then he was actually in Oppenheimer just recently. So I don't know what role mm-hmm. he played. But anyway. He, he played a German. <laughs> Imagine that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But in uh, Heart of Stone, he plays kind of a, perhaps this is being unfair, but just based on the trailer, he kind of looks like a cut-rate Benji slash Q named uh, Jack of Hearts. So See, you have to say cut-rate what his name is, Jack of Hearts. <laughs> yeah. Right? Not just Jack. No, not Jack just Jack of ja- Hearts. Jack of Hearts. So. Right, right, right. If you're going to give him a stupid name, you're going to have to expect he's going to be reduced in quality. That's right. <laughs> I mean, if it would have just been Jack, I probably wouldn't have said cut rate, but it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I hate to say it, but there's already red flags all over this trailer and all over this movie. But And yet, if the entire thing is a movie where that fits into place, fine. Who knows? Yeah, fine. You know, I'm I'm trying to stay optimistic here. Greg Rucka wrote this thing, so that's Greg something. Greg Rucka's to, my man. That's right. There's something to be said for that. There's also a character named Six of Hearts. So clearly, this has to do with this imaginary silly spy agency that Rachel Stone yes. is associated with, which in this case is called the Charter, an elite spy group that has no national allegiances and use a one-of-a-kind asset called, quote, the heart. This is all according to VFX supervisor Mark Breakspear, who says the heart is a, quote, quantum computer, which I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, which, it's the next level of co- computer technology, Marty. <laughs> That's right. But it apparently, quote, uses AI to monitor all human data, analyzing it, looking for patterns, and then using those patterns to make predictions. The charter uses the heart to look at a given situation and help their operatives plan what to do. So, so basically, this computer should be the arch nemesis of the Mission Impossible computer. That's right. And they could just fight each other while Tom Cruise and Gal Gadot go have a beer somewhere. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. It's either that or the heart is the fabric weaving thing in Wanted they use to predict the future of who to kill. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's that. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go on record right now. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> and tell you that the that the heart computer is the true bad guy in the film. Sorry to spoil it for everybody. Yes. Also, 100% a guess. I'm pretty sure it's got to be pretty close. <laughs> There's no such thing as beneficial AI. No. And Even happy Kevin Spacey AI on the moon got a little dark and twisted towards <laughs> the end of that movie. So... Yeah. You know, we might Howell's as well... just misunderstood, but, you know... <laughs> I think spy movie fans are just going to have to buckle up for the next 10 years because AI is going to take over what used to be held down by stealing nukes and holding the world hostage. Absolutely. So the good movies are going to be the ones that find a new way to do it or new and interesting way to do it. Yes. As opposed to just putting it in as, you know, helper A or bad guy B. As it becomes more and more passe... Mm-hmm. Hopefully the writers will keep up and come up with something, you know, to make it at least moderately interesting to watch. Yes. But uh, all that aside, you know, I just got a quick point out to Netflix. They got some weird ass promotional tactics, man. Like, I do not understand the way that they pimp out their movies. I don't get it. In Heart of Stone, I have seen far more print advertising for this movie than I have trailers or clips. I haven't seen anything on television. I haven't seen hardly any ads for it in my social media, which is where I would expect to see it the most. Yeah, totally. I barely see it at all. The only times that I actually see it is if Skydance or Netflix themselves repost one of the trailers or something like that, because Mm -hmm. it's not just like in my stories ever. It's not like, you know, when Mission Impossible came out, it was like a full-on just blitz of stuff over every single channel. This thing is not a peep, but man, I have seen so many photos people have taken of billboards. (laughs) And the weirdest one of all came from my good buddy James Page of MI6HQ who sent me this while he was at LAX. It was a photo of a big stack of airport security trays with Heart of Stone printed on the side handle of the, <laughs> of the so, tray. So when, you, so when you pick it up, you look at it, you go, oh, Heart of Stone. Okay. Well, I've always wanted to put my junk in Gal Gadot, so here we go. <laughs> That's right. It's the closest you'll ever get to putting your junk in Gal Gadot. <laughs> Sorry, Gal. <laughs> Sorry, Gal. It's a bad I, joke, but we had I, to say it. Had it. To be, it had to be said, and I immediately regret it. I'm sorry. <laughs> the only conclusion I can come to is maybe somebody's at the airport, they're about to get on an airplane, and they're going to watch Netflix while they're on the plane. Maybe that's the whole idea behind that's it. That's my thinking on that, and it's kind of brilliant if that's the reason. Yeah. I mean, if that works, I mean, I'd be curious to know, since, since James Page only took the one photo, I'd be curious if... There's any artwork in the bed of the tray. So yeah. when you so when you pick like a it poster. up and you yeah, so when you're looking down, you see Gal Gadot's face, as which you, just makes as it even you, worse. As you literally put your junk into the tray. Yeah, I really regret saying that. <laughs> But but not enough to have you edit it out. That's right. (laughs) Also, one last little tidbit about Heart of Stone. Um, They did just drop the music video for the Heart of Stone theme song called Quiet, which is by this artist named Noga Erez, who is kind of reminds me a little bit of Billie Eilish, but like from a different country than America. Mm. So 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure where she's from exactly, but she's got a very Billie Eilishy vibe. But I would like you to say Billie Eilishy vibe three times. It's difficult. <laughs> Billie <laughs> Eilishy, Billie Eilishly. <laughs> you know who could do it though? Sean Connery could do it. <laughs> Billy. <laughs> he would just say Billie Eilishly, but it would come out Billie Eilishly. Billie Eilishly. Yes. Eilishly, Eilishly, Eilishly. But not a bad tune. I'll, I'll say that much. And Gal Gadot. I haven't heard heard it yet it's, it's not too bad and then gal gadot's actually in the music video nice and they do one of these whole things where she's in a drive-in movie theater and of course up on the screen is projecting clips of the movie you know like you do for pretty anything. sure i saw that in some movie time music video in 1987 oh yeah They've been doing that one forever, that whole motif. Except when I saw it in 87, drive-thrus were still a thing. Right. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) But uh, that is about all of the external intel we've managed to gather. And like I said before, we actually have done our own little bit of intel by conducting a poll on uh, Twitter or X or whatever the hell you want to call it. I really don't care. It's just Twitter. I suggest we just keep calling it Twitter because it's yeah. going to change names eight more times. Oh, yeah. And at least that's the one everybody's going to call it until, everybody's you know, the out. Gen... What are they... Are we on, like, Gen double A now? Who knows? Or is it, like, Gen small A one? I am uh, so you know, far removed from that whole thing. Whatever the next group of people are going to complain about the people that our generation is currently complaining about now... <laughs> right. That's, that's what it'll change. They'll change it right. to that because... Their boomers will still call it Twitter. Right. Now that we've gotten all that out of the way, the question that I asked our uh, Twitter followers was, given how long James Bond movies are taking these days to make, going forward, how long would you like to see an actor portray James Bond for? And there were three options that I gave. The first was a series of one-offs. So essentially just one actor goes in, plays James Bond, move on. Or three movies per actor... Or the final option was kind of the traditional four movies or more, provided they don't decide to pull a Dalton or a Lazenby, that sort of thing. Yeah. Actors are either too good at their job or uh, got too old to actually play it believably. Right. So um, <laughs> we had a total of 318 votes, which... Honestly, it's not bad for us. For <laughs> okay. us, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean... Tens of listeners. We're just saying. So, <laughs> so the breakdown went as follows. For the the votes for a series of one-offs only got 9.1%. The option for three movies and then move on to a new actor got 43.1%. And four movies or more got 47.8%. So still mostly traditionalists, but I was actually surprised that there were a sizable chunk of people that were interested. It was it basically broke down between people that wanted to do the traditional method of long-term bond versus, you know, mostly three movies and then a couple people who wanted to be really creative and say, "Let's just do one and done and then move on." I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. I was personally, I was hoping that more people would lean towards a shorter tenure because I feel like based on how long things are taking, and I don't know if this is just an Eon thing or if it's just movies in general now, to me, I feel like three is the perfect number. That's just me. Would you say that three is the magic number? Indeed, indeed, it is. Just ask De La Soul. Um, (laughs) But... 
I also thought that a series of one-offs would be interesting. I mean, when Marty was on the show in our last episode, um, he talked about that. And I do think that would allow for, or maybe just, maybe not necessarily make it the rule that it's a series of one-offs. I think it would be interesting to do one-offs until something clicks. You know what I mean? Like put one out with, don't, don't necessarily lock down an actor to do five movies right from the jump, have them do one, see how it fares. Although I suppose they have that leeway anyway. They do. I mean, they put them under contract, but they're not going to guarantee that they're going to make any more movies if it doesn't work out. Right. Um, at least not until you're, you know, Danny Craig on number four and get whatever you want. But right. <laughs> um, I think from my standpoint, I, mean, I love the idea of, one and done, one and done, one and done. Only because of the fact that I think it opens up the storytelling. Yes. A lot more. And, you know, I, I've often said I'm a big fan of the idea of taking it back to the Cold War. Mm-hmm. So I'd, almost like you could have eight different versions of Batman on the screen and they're all relevant because of the multiverse, right? Right. So you can have Michael Keaton floating around as old man Batman, but you can still have sparkly Batman doing his own thing over there too. Right. And Batfleck and whatever else. It's all, it's all good, man. It's all good. So I would love to see the opportunity to harken back to the fifties, the sixties, even the seventies and just do like an, not so much an homage movie Mm -hmm. per se. I mean, we don't want somebody with the, with Roger's hair and the big lapels <laughs> necessarily trying to do a shot-for-shot shot remake, but something that captures the vibe yeah. and the feel of a Bond film from whatever era it's in. Right, and you could get somebody like Tarantino that could really do the 70s well. well you let the auteurs go out and make their version of a Bond movie. Right. And I know everybody that heard that just groaned. I know. I know they but, did. You know, and I do, I, to be honest with you, I don't want to see a Tarantino. I'd watch it, but I don't really need to see a Tarantino Bond movie. I'd love to see a Christopher Nolan Bond movie. Yes. I'd love to see a Ridley Scott Bond movie. I'd even like to see how good old Deddy Villeneuve gets away with, you know, Bond in space or on Dune <laughs> or something. I mean, there's so many people out there. I'd love to see Matthew Vaughn just get his one-off Bond movie. Yeah. Give Spielberg that opportunity before he dies, you know? Yeah. Just to see how they take the the premise and the character and translate it into their own thing. Otherwise, you kind of have to ride and die with whoever you get. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to what you said about, you know, kind of Batman and the and the multiverse type situation, one of the comments we got uh was from at double O Nothing who is actually one of the contributors to um, James Bond and Friends. He said in a tweet, unless we find an actor, in, in parentheses, and producers, as committed to the role and to the series as a whole as Tom Cruise is for Mission Impossible, I'd say we're better off with a Spider-Verse Bond, a different actor for one, maybe two, but the right person could potentially carry it for decades. And I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think... I mean, imagine, imagine if you will, a world... Imagine if you will. Dig if you will a picture. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) This is movie guy now. Okay. Imagine if you will a world (laughs) where James Bond exists in multiple dimensions. (laughs) Think about it. What what if you had, what if you went back to the 60s and it was awesome? Yeah. So you just keep making Bond in the 60s, but concurrently everybody's like, but we really like this 80s Bond too. And so all of a sudden you've got three James Bond movies coming out every year 
yeah. along a different quote unquote timeline or whatever. I mean, not to get too nerdy about it. It's just if you like having Bond in your life, if you expand how you tell the story, you get the opportunity to see more. Right. And I would argue, too, there's a lot of people that are hung up on continuity and can't, not so much can't wrap their head around a multiverse Bond. They just don't want to. But yeah. imagine how much Bond you would get if you're willing to be open to that sort of thing. You would yeah. get way more Bond, way more interesting takes on Bond, a lot quicker. And, yeah. but and, I mean, you got to be steadfast and stalwart, and it's the same guy since 1953, or since 1963, clearly. And, you know, <laughs> he doesn't get old, or he gets, he gets old, but then he regenerates like Doctor Who right. and comes back as the next iteration. But it's still the same guy. That's right. Still the same guy. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. We also got another person on Twitter named at Tapwater Alice, a.k.a. Adam S., wrote, because I'm something of a Bond doomer these days, I sort of want to see at least three different actors consecutively, a la Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die. Like, when that happened back then, nobody, nobody flinched at all when there were three different Bonds over the course of three different movies. So, and you could even do that as kind of like a palate cleanser. Like imagine if you did have like three of them where they were just all totally different and then suddenly they went, I mean, it's not like they have to lock themselves into anything. I just think it'd be kind of cool if if we did get maybe a couple way out there different takes on Bond and then maybe we decide, okay, let's go back to this and, and start with something in earnest now. You know, we, well, I can guarantee you there's some executive at Amazon right now who's pressing his fingers together, uh, Mr. Burns style. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. I like their ideas. <laughs> I'm just saying, my, my dance card is open after September. So, uh, Amazon, if you want some help consulting, we're, we're, we, we are will here. We're more than happy to pitch. We're great pitch guys. <laughs> we have no follow through, but we are really good <laughs> with the ideas. We are like Jablonski in Night Shift. We got ideas coming out our asses. It's not so good with the follow through. That's right. That's right. So consultant fee. How about that? There we go. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. Um, I would be open to either one-offs or or like a three movie thing because I do think that joking aside like three is kind of the magic number in terms of movies yeah. often because you get that trilogy type situation yeah, absolutely. or if you did bring in like an auteur type director like Nolan who wanted to tell a story from start to finish you could do that you could bring in a guy like an actor and mm-hmm. a director paired and they do a three movie arc and then and then you're on to the next one All right I, I got nothing for you man <laughs> uh, you know me, I'm Mr. Plot Development and make it interesting and connect everything together. Yeah. But I'm also saying I'd be happy with it being not connected together as long as you don't go with the conceit that they're all the same fucking thing because they are not. <laughs> 100%. John Connery is not Daniel Craig. That is correct. He doesn't travel around in a big blue phone box. doesn't have a <laughs> sonic Beretta. That'd be pretty cool, though. <laughs> And now we could almost say that we're back on the road, Jason. I'm not going back on the road. <laughs> You're not going back on the road? Not we're going not. back on the road. I will stand right here on the median while you go down the road. Or we could just have our conversation right here, buddy. All right. We're gonna have we're gonna have our conversation on the side of the road to reckoning. Just yes. over here on the side. And we are going to do our spoiler full first impressions of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one. 
<sighs> okay, breathe. Um, but yes, if uh, if you have not seen the movie and you don't want things spoiled for you, I highly stop sug- now. I I highly recommend you stop now. So uh, this is your last chance. And here we go. Okay, so everyone who has come with us now, we can get into this and uh, and just kind of speak freely, speak our minds, Jason. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it was a movie. It was great. I'm done. Just <laughs> <laughs> Jason, would you like to go first, or would you like me to kick things off? No, why don't you go ahead and kick things off? Uh, okay. I'm, I have to admit to our listeners right now that the the shining fog of Haley Atwell in virtually every scene kind of clouded my only viewing of the movie at this point. <laughs> Whereas uh, Ben, who was in a similar fog, I believe, over Rebecca Ferguson, had to go back immediately thereafter, or more or less immediately thereafter, and go watch it again. Yes. So... My first thoughts on this movie. I have some style notes. I have some style notes before I get into specific scenes or things that I liked and didn't like about this movie are style notes. There are so many close-ups, Jason. There are so many close-ups in this movie. Holy cow. And the close-ups that we do get are very close. Like they're not I- just they're not just close-up close-ups. Maybe it's just because we watched it in IMAX. I don't know, but goddamn. Like they are just their face fills the entire screen. Like they it are It does. But you also have to take into account we just blitz through virtually three movies at TV size that were meant to be seen that's true at the scope that we were at. Because so, I kept thinking through the whole thing was that God, this is what a, a Mission Impossible movie is supposed to look like in my face. <laughs> right. And I don't, you know, my mom told me when I was a kid, I can't sit close to the TV or my eyes will go bad. So <laughs> I'm blind. But, you know, uh, yeah, the IMAX screen certainly made it bigger. And there were some interesting close-up camera choices. Well, yeah, but they did. I think it's just more the environment we were in getting to see it in in nature as opposed to in a cage like we do normally. <laughs> right. And the other thing, too, and you sort of alluded to it, is they have these jump cut uh, close-ups where somebody is talking to somebody, especially I think about when Kittredge is talking to Ethan and he's, and he's on some sort of, he's monologuing and he's saying stuff, he's saying stuff. And then the camera, you t- switch camera angles, but it's still a close-up on him. Like, it's basically just a, a slight angle change, but it's still a super-duper close-up. It's so weird. I don't want to say that it's De Palma because it's not De Palma, but it's like a weird take on De Palma. Because, and that's the other thing, too. There are a lot of Dutch angles in this movie as well. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's just, it's funky. It's really funky, and I don't know how I feel about it. It just seems like, uh, like McHugh just was pulling out all the bags of tricks. Yeah. Throw it on the wall, see what sticks. Yeah, very much so. Highlights for me, I did like the opener, even though it was kind of overdone, the whole Hunt for Red October-y, blow up your own submarine situation with the with the entity on it. Um, I did, however, really like when Ethan's inside the CIA, when he gets inside wearing a mask, and then Kittredge is like, how are you going to get out? And he's suddenly got a Kittredge ma- Ethan's got a Kittredge <laughs> match. That that was a great moment. That was a clever little thing. Like that was that was a throwback to Mission Impossible One that I felt like really worked because I do feel right. like there's a number of those in this movie that 
Yeah, there are a lot of callbacks to things that have come in the past. Yeah. Like, you know, they're just sort of like, this was a kind of a good idea. Maybe we could throw this back in. I didn't get enough trench coat, though, I got to tell you. And yeah. zero zero fedoras. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would have liked to see at least more trench coat um, as as it pertains to the uh, the MI universe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I I like the, uh, the, the nice little touch they had on the wall. In the office of the CIA, they had the uh, picture of uh, Sloan, the ex-head of the Yeah, C- well, she would have been, being on the wall, she would have been current. Oh, okay. So we just didn't see her, so we don't know. But it was just a nice little throwback. Yeah, and I wonder if we are going to see her. I know that, if I remember correctly, I believe she wasn't able to be part of the production due to COVID things happening. Because as we both know, that this movie was produced way back during the pandemic when everything was really bad. So Right. So who knows whether she's going to randomly show up in part two. And that's, you know, and before I get into the lows... I've I've got some more highlights, but before I get into the lows, I will say that some of these lows will depend on what they do in part two. Right. Because they could sort of fix things for me a little bit. (laughs) But going back to the highlights, there's a lot of other things that I really did like. I really love the airport sequence, the whole thing where they're watching the monitors and Luther's changing the face on the person they think they're tracking with facial tracking. Right. Was really clever. For Mission Impossible, it was very low-key. Yeah. It was almost like, remember this trick we tried in the 90s? I bet you no one will expect it now. (laughs) You know, rather than trying to be very gidgety-gadgety with it, they kind of, they took it down a notch or two. Yeah, they tried to play it. just kind of let it play out the way it needed to play out. Yeah. So you got that, you had so much building suspense, but you were kind of building some humor there. You were taking a scene that really could have been quite boring without... A lot of action. Right. Because it was a Keystone Capers thing, basically, is what it was. Very much so. And I will say, too, they played almost everything for humor in this movie. Yeah. Which works in some cases and in other cases, not so much. The only thing I didn't like, it, it's, it seemed like all the serious stuff fell on Ilsa's character. Yeah. So she it, didn't really get a chance to to be light and airy and, and playful. Yeah, you know? like she wasn't Fallout, like in the bathroom, right. like in the bathroom scene, and so right. it was, and and she was on screen for so little time that it was it was frustrating that we didn't get more of that out of her before. Whoop. So, but before we get to that part, because I'm gonna spend some <laughs> quality time on that, um, I gotta say that my my two big highlights as far as actors in the movie were Haley Atwell and Palm Clementiev. Yes. I mean, I'm sure Jason will agree with me on the former and probably on the latter as well. Oh, no. I I think Palm was the Grace Jones of this movie. Oh, absolutely. I mean. And whereas, you know, Grace Jones was sort of like over the top because I don't do this normally. Right. She was over the top, but with acting training. You know what right. I'm saying? Yes, very much so. When so when she pulls that whole emotional bit at the end, it really you're works. totally buying it. Whereas when Grace Jones did the same thing in A View <laughs> to a Kill, you're just sort of like, okay, so angry at James Bond face is the same as I'm on your side now, James Bond face. <laughs> Got it. Right. But yeah, Haley Atwell, man, just brought so much wit and so much 
It's just a kind of a breath of fresh air in this movie. Yeah, because she plays a character that we really haven't seen in a Mission Impossible movie, which is a devil-may-care, carefree, sort of going-with-the-flow kind of character right. who's really got her own interests at heart right. until she starts to realize the true gravity of the situation that she's in and kind of has to pick a line. I kind of liken her character almost in a bad way and in a good way to Catwoman. From okay. Batman. Yeah. You know, not that yeah, she's a she's a thief. There's a, I mean, all the things that she is. But Catwoman is kind of like that. That character's typical archetype is that I'm in it for myself mm-hmm. until I realize that there's this higher calling that I could actually do something about. And right. then kind of pitches that to the side to at least get through whatever the crisis is. Right. And then we'll typically at the end still steal the diamond and, and off she goes. <laughs> so... But I mean, that's kind of what that character arc felt like for me with with Haley. It's just she's just so charming and bubbly and effervescent and perfect that you know <laughs> she could have she could have phoned that entire thing in literally on a phone, and I would have had zero problem with it. I'm and sure. as far as close ups go, there were some very nice close ups <laughs> of Haley of Haley <laughs> that I liked a lot. <laughs> I would concur with that. I and, just and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and she did have great chemistry with uh, Tom. I felt like she did, and yet at the same time, like Rebecca Ferguson, seemed like if you just got rid of Tom, she could continue doing the thing all by herself without him. <laughs> right. Once again, we have found yet one more potential heir to the throne of the IMF. Right. Just very quickly between her and Palm, I God Palm, I can't say enough good things about her. I honestly wish they would have given her more dialogue. I mean, I understand why they didn't. Right. It's it's just they wanted a very specific type of character or it, or it evolved into that type of character. I, I think they definitely wanted a Mayday. Yeah. They just wanted a Mayday that could emote without speaking. Yeah. Which I think we got. Absolutely, yeah. And she wasn't nearly as one note as Mayday was. No, the, exactly. They wanted that character, the the strong, silent, terrifying type, mm-hmm. but that could convey emotion without having to use dialogue to do it. Yeah. Also, a huge highlight, I mean, for me, was the final train sequence. It just... Oh, yeah. Good Lord. In particular, that scene in the the kitchen car that had yeah. the, the fryers and there's right? grease sloshing all over the place. Holy cow. Holy. I know. I'm just like, they got to get burned. <laughs> Listen, I worked at A&W as a kid, man. So like <laughs> seeing that was, I was getting like, I was having bad dreams. Like I was just like, oh God. Oh, don't touch the hot grease. I know what that does. I know. Oh, I, know. I, got, I got burn scars on my right hand from my Burger King days. That's right. That's right. I can't imagine going zero G in a train full of those things. Right. Yeah. And I do, you know, for all the uh, behind the scenes things that they've thrown at us already, I would love to see a behind the scenes of how they did that zero gravity moment where where they're doing hang time and then suddenly they both crash to the ground. Right. I would love to see how exactly how they did that. I mean... Well, they filmed it in the space station, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Tom was doing some location shoots up there for the new movie. Yeah. Well, like, you know, just... You know, I brought some... I brought her I brought Haley with me. She didn't want to come, but I brought her with me. And I'm thinking, um I, we got wardrobe. <laughs> exactly. We have those, those green screens we brought on the dragon capsule. Let's bring them out. Let's bring them out. Let's bring them out. <laughs> 
I'll shoot this one. I got this one. <laughs> All of the scene work that happened in that train worked just really well. And maybe it has to do with the fact that they're all in a contained space. And so you've yeah, just got all this choreography crush. had to be going on there. Yeah. And not even just the action too. Like you've got all the main players in there. I mean, even Carrie Elwes is in there. Even, right? you know, you've got the fight on top of the train. So much happens on that fucking train, man. <laughs> like you've got that incredible scene with Vanessa Kirby where she's playing Haley Atwell's character. Right. Playing Vanessa Kirby. Playing Vanessa. Like that's so good. Like. Right. Because you can totally tell when she switches to being Grace with the with the Vanessa mask on, right? Right. <laughs> well, maybe not as good as the uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman switch to Ethan, but still good. However, I am going to point out, as I did when we watched the movie, there is no way that Haley Atwell could imitate Vanessa Kirby. I don't care how good the mask is. Everything going on under the mask is not the same. Well, geometry-wise, yes. Yeah, I will, will 100% agree with you on that. There's a little fudging the rules. But, suspension of disbelief. Right, I'm right. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that aside, I mean, the acting job. Oh, yeah. And then I also really like my other big highlight was I did like the funny bit with the yellow car. With the little yellow car. <laughs> like the whole, I swear to God, this never happens. <laughs> the whole trying to get the car going and the and the windshield wiper keeps getting turned on and right. just not quite figuring everything out. And then and then when she's doing the circles over and over and over again in the square when she's trying to get used to how to drive it, like that right. part of it was, was pretty great as well. Well, you know, they constantly have to one-up themselves in every movie. We all know that from right. the Mission Impossible series. That's that's how it works. So how do you make a car chase better? Well, you put it in a funny car, because that works in James Bond movies when you put them in silly cars, right? You yeah. know, or at least somebody's in a silly car in that car chase somewhere. Right. But then having to switch arms to drive because of the handcuffs and think that that those little elements just made it that much better. Yeah. For because sure. instead of being in a car chase, you have to force the actors to act in a car chase. Yeah. And this is the thing that Mission Impossible does so well, particularly with car chases, unless they're on motorcycles. Right. But when you've got two people in a car, they have to have a conversation while they're doing improbable things. <laughs> and then because it's Tom Cruise, they're having a conversation while they're doing improbable things. Right. Now, I will say you were mentioning that, you know, in every movie they have to kind of one up the game. I would argue that maybe they didn't one up the game in terms of that one, because I, I have to admit, because we're, we're going to we're going to I'm going to steer this gravy train into the, the lows or not the lows, but just the the things that I found just sl slightly disappointing was I felt like a lot of the action in this movie was was shot too tight, much like the close-ups. Um, <laughs> and what I mean by that too is like, I, when I think about the car chase in Rogue Nation, when I think about the car chase in Fallout, I felt like those were more effective because they were shot wider and it felt more dangerous to me. And and I feel like they do this a lot in American movies too, in particular when they're shooting action sequences that they get too tight so they can cheat things and that you're not seeing the stuntman. If you're, if you're mm -hmm. in tight, then you don't have to go to a stuntman because you can fake a lot of things. And what was so frustrating is I know that they're doing the stunts. 
You know, we know that Tom Cruise is doing these stunts. So why did they shoot some of these things so tightly? Because you're not getting the full, at least for me, I felt like I wasn't getting the same level of danger as, for instance, the Ethan and Benji car chase in Casablanca. The one in Casablanca felt much more dangerous to me than this one in Rome did, for the most part. I mean, occasionally well, occasionally it felt... this. You know, there there were a couple little moments that did work for me when uh, Haley is driving the car and kind of like smacks into a car on the side or whatever, and then she's hit by some other car. There are very particular moments that do still bring some of that, but for one reason or another, that stuff didn't work for me as well, simply because it was it was too tight. And then the other thing that that I will say is the CGI that they used to sort of fill out some of the stunts. For instance, the big motorcycle jump. And I don't know if this is more because they released what the jump looked like before they did the CGI. Like, I almost wonder if they shot themselves in the foot by releasing that. Oh, I think they did when they, I thought they did when they released it. Yeah, because when you see him just go off the ramp, it's actually far more impressive because there's no CGI and he's just doing the thing. And one right. of the th- and one of the things that works so well in Fallout, for instance, is a lot of the stunts in Fallout just sit there. There's nothing embellished afterwards to it. You know, when he drops from that helicopter and hits that ball that's hanging down, that's all it is. The only right. thing they did was get rid of the line that he was on, the safety line. That's it. You know, whereas the motorcycle jump, they put the whole mountain underneath his motorcycle that wasn't mm-hmm. there. And then the same thing with the train. When the train careened off the the cliff and went into the ravine, you know, they released that footage too. So we knew that it was just kind of dumping into a into a kind of a dirty little ravine that had nothing going on in it. Whereas in the movie, suddenly it's this beautiful ravine with like this nice waterfall and it's all green and it looks completely different. Well, that's because they didn't want people realizing it was Eastwood Ravine that uh, was actually filmed in. And the people were saying, oh, you stole that from Back to the Future. Right. (laughs) So I guess I think that's the bigger thing. Seeing the behind the scenes stuff that they released so early ahead of time. If I would have just seen the completed shot of the of the motorcycle jump, I think I would have gone for it a lot more. So you heard it here first, folks. Ben is not going to be watching any more behind-the-scenes things until after the movie. Well, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Bet you w- I bet you he doesn't hold to that. I probably okay. will not hold to that. <laughs> See, it's funny that you say that because I did not get any of that. I mean, yes, there were a lot of big faces in front of my little face for a lot of it. But like yeah. the action scenes, because they were so close in and tight, felt more dramatic to me than wide open shots and i kind of feel the opposite i think you put wide shots in to cheat the stunt stuff you do the close-in stuff because if you catch the actor the actor's in the car right and i know it's different angles and stuff like that but you know so like in the casablanca scene it was great because they were driving through teeny tiny little areas Mm -hmm. and so by being out wide you could kind of still get that feeling of being enclosed because of how where they were driving right when you're driving in rome I'm sure there's plenty of closed off spaces that that you could get that feeling in, but it's a big city, you know, and it's cosmopolitan. And I think to get the feel that you need, particularly since you, the entire trucks of that whole thing 
was the two of them getting to know each other while they're being chased. Right. And so you had to keep that dynamic of, we're in this teeny tiny little car, and we got handcuffs, <laughs> and we're driving, you know? And meantime, we are flirting. Aren't we flirting? <laughs> and whatever else. Right. But I think it helped the narrative that they were trying to put during the car chase, mm -hmm. to keep it tight like that. So, I mean, it, did, it really didn't bother me. I Honestly... The whole movie was so breathtakingly refreshing to me to see something like that again on a big screen that I might be more nitpicky when I watch it again. Sure. But to just see it and enjoy it for what it was at that point in time, everything was clicking on all cylinders for me. I think one of the things that I should mention, too, is when I was in my early 20s, I watched a lot of Hong Kong cinema, and they mm -hmm. and they really focus on the wide shots mm -hmm. with that because there's far less stunt people coming in and standing in for actors. Well, yeah, but also it's more ballet, more choreographed, more dance-oriented. Right. It requires multiple partners to tell that story that they're trying to tell through the action. Right. So you have to catch it all. You can't cut away because then you lose whatever the interaction is between the two people that are fighting. Right. You're losing all the quality of what they just worked on for the past, you know, month. Right. And, and I think I've gotten so used to seeing things in the wide like that that sometimes when I see more cramped action sequences like we got in this movie, for me, it, it just, it's not quite as effective. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so that, that was one thing. You we'll, went we'll, back to see it again. So apparently overall it was okay. It's still a great movie. I mean, it's, right. overall it's still a great movie. So the one other thing that I will bring up, which is just sort of the elephant in the room that I think a lot of people, well, some people online actually agreed with me How too. How dare you call her an elephant? Well, okay. Well, she's not an elephant. She's certainly, if she's an elephant, she's the best looking elephant I've ever seen, um, is Ilsa dying. And I, that was the most disappointing thing for me because I felt like, as we mentioned earlier, she didn't get. She didn't even get a chance to be Ilsa very much before she either died or fake died. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. whether we see her in part two remains to be seen. I think that if they don't bring her back, I think it would be a a huge, huge faux pas, at least for me, because they've already sort of caused damage, at least in my mind, because they've essentially fridged her and she's. Yeah. And she's the best character in this movie, like more than Ethan Hunt, in my opinion. I think that the Ilsa character, you know, we've been treated to the greatness that is Rebecca Ferguson over the last two movies. And suddenly she just kind of goes out cheaply in the first, what was it, an hour of this movie, maybe? Mm -hmm. And we barely saw her even in the first hour that we did watch the movie. And, and yeah. I don't know if it's a scheduling thing. You know, maybe she had a bunch of other stuff that she needed, that she wanted to do. You know, she's got Silo. She's got other things on her docket. She's an incredible actress, so it's not like she's hurting for work. <laughs> no. You know, there's you a lot. She probably signed in for three movies, and maybe she just doesn't want to do the physical stuff anymore. Right. My problem, though, is, is if you're going to do a limited showing of Ilsa, uh, I just, I don't know. I, I'm not even sure if it was worth it to have her in there if that's all we're going to see of her. You know, we never got, like, the Ilsa that we've you know, kind of come to love over the past two movies. There's no like... Really? We didn't get the Ilsa that has a secret 
doesn't tell Ethan, gets her into trouble. We've never seen that before. Well, um, you know, goes off and does her own thing. Maybe is dead, but isn't really dead. I got your back. You know. Well, I mean, we. I, get I feel to- like we got the Ilsa we always get, but she and she went out on a good one. You know, she almost got the bad guy. I suppose, but I just think if she doesn't come back in part two, I'm going to be really angry <laughs> with. Christopher McQuarrie. I will still watch their movies because they're still good, but I will still be frustrated that you take out... So what you're hoping for is that when we get into part two, the first thing we see is somebody walk up to that bridge and they pull off the Ilsa mask and it's Angela Bassett underneath. That's right. That is exactly right. There you go. There you go. Fixed. (laughs) All better. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was certainly certainly shocking. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I had a feeling. Oh, we all had a feeling. I had a feeling. (laughs) Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) I felt like you can't have two hotties on the screen. (laughs) Um, The way that they were playing up Haley Atwell's part in this movie. Yeah. Before the movie even came out. Right. And the fact that you could tell even from the trailer, she was going to get way more screen time than Ilsa was going to get. Right. Just because every time you saw something, she was in it. Sure. Right. I kind of felt like this was inevitable. So I'm like, what? So I guess the, the real question is, is if Rebecca Ferguson wanted out, then she's out. Sure. If she didn't, she's coming back. One would hope. One you would know. hope. Because, I mean, if, because, it, because if she doesn't come back, like that's a huge, for me, that's a huge like diss. Like that just feels awful. If if all they did was decide to write her out and it had nothing to do with whether or not she wanted to be in the movie or not. Well, I, I doubt that it had anything to do with them not wanting her to come back. Right. So it's either she didn't want to come back and we're getting rid of you or ha ha ha. They're all going to be writing about how sucky this is. All the guys that didn't like James Bond dying are going to bitch and complain about <laughs> Ilsa dying, which seems to be coming true. And then she's going to come back, surprise! And then she'll die at the very end of number two and piss all of you off again. <laughs> Prediction number two, ladies and gentlemen. Prediction there we go. Two. You've, you've, um, you've heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. One of the things that I really liked the most about the movie was the desert scene. Yes, the whole thing from top to bottom, soup to nuts. Aside from the fact that it's like, are we making the third dude movie now? Okay, that's right. fine. You know, we can have Tom Muad'Dib instead of Paul Muad'Dib. I'm fine with that. That's fine. But um, the way it was shot, the colors, the everything. Also I, with the gun with the with the big stand on it. Oh my god, that shot is so great. When yeah, the shot like trucks forward really quickly. To, to her as she's sort of falling asleep or, or like half asleep until suddenly something, you know, catches her eye or whatever. Yeah. Like such a great shot. Oh, and that that was the Ilsa I think you and I both were expecting throughout the entire movie. Right. Yeah. And we kind of didn't get her because she almost just became one of the gang, you know, yeah. after that, after after she got the MacGuffin where it needed to go mm-hmm. and was off into ether, she just sort of came back as, and I'm here to be four because we always got to have four. Yeah, I was going to have four. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes in part two. It just really, yeah. it made me sad. <laughs> um, also, uh, one other thing I, I had to bring up too, uh, while I'm, you know, bitching and moaning or whatever, um, <laughs> the whole speed flying thing at the very end of the movie, you know, they kind of made a big deal of it in that video that they that they released, the, the behind the scenes 
you know, about how dangerous speed flying is and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, it happens at a point where everything has kind of been resolved more or less. Mm-hmm. So that it felt like there was no danger to it whatsoever. Like it, it just sort of, it was just sort of like, oh, look, he's doing another cool thing, but there's no consequences. So... <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Some things just have to be dangerous to Tom Cruise. They don't have to be dangerous. To That's Ethan right. Hunt. He just he just needed his his little piece of cake that day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then one other thing, I found it really bizarre. I don't know if it's good or bad. Just the whole Luther vanishing act, where Luther the first now you see him, he's like. Ethan, I have to go somewhere you won't ever find me. It's off the grid because that's the only way that the entity won't find me. And he's like, I get it. All right, later. <laughs> and that's the last you see of him. Because you have to have four. You have to have four. Well, okay. Yeah, because then Ilsa's there and then I got it. I Jake, got it. You'd be running around with a minimum five because you've got Grace running around. Right. So there's, it's always in fours. Always in fours. Always fours. Never more than four. Three is right out. <laughs> Two is right out. That's right. So, I don't know. I don't know if there's much else that we can say without doing a full-on review of the movie, unless you have good or bad thoughts that we yeah, haven't I brought mean, up I mean, yet. You know, I think overall... I, 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 I really liked it. Like I thought it was I thought it was highly, highly entertaining. There were just, you know, I'm a I'm a Ilsa super fan, so I wanted to see more yeah. Ilsa. Hey, I'm a Haley Atwell super fan, so I got plenty. <laughs> you got exactly what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm a Rebecca Ferguson super fan and I would have liked more. But indeed, indeed, I'm not indeed. unhappy because I got plenty of what I was there for. And I mean, the Tom Cruisiness of it was just right. It wasn't too much. It wasn't too little. <laughs> we get the confused Tom. We get all the Toms that you get all the Toms. in the Mission Impossible movies. I could have handled a little more, uh, a little more Benji. Yeah, we only got like that nice little dollop with the bomb in the airport, mm-hmm. and then and then he was kind of, you know, just a background person. And it would have been nice to have more, you know. That and that's why I love Rogue Nation so much, is because we get that whole like buddy cop vibe, right? With with him and and Ethan. So yeah, it would have been nice to get a little bit more Benji, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, We're introducing this new character that's very easy on the eyes, and she's clever and she's witty and well, and potentially the the franchise, right? Potentially, yeah, I suppose so. I so, mean, I mean, they offered her the gig to be part of the IMF, so and she right. chose to accept. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what will happen? What I will say is, is that in in a world <laughs> where things have two parts more often than they need to, mm-hmm. this one ended well. Yes, yes, it wasn't the abrupt. What the fuck? Very true. You almost got closure for this movie knowing that there was more coming like you would in a TV show, which is what this is based off of. Or an Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) Right. But I mean, if I never saw two, I still feel like I got a bit of closure at the end of one. So because they were planning on making, weren't they always planning on making it two? Yeah. Or did they do their normal thing like, we got to get it down from three? (laughs) No, Um, it was always two. So, like Dune, the end of Dune book one, mm-hmm. right? They built it at the natural end of the story in the book to go on to the next story that's yeah. the second part of the first novel. So, you don't feel like you're missing anything. You came to an end of that story, and when it kicks up, 
it'll be a little bit probably in the future and everything will come to full conclusion at the end. Yeah. And I, I would totally agree with that as well, because you've it's not like to bring up a movie that I think of when I think of uh, two or three parters that have bad endings that are just like cliffhangers or stuff like in the Matrix Part 2, the end of the Matrix Part 2, when it's just yeah the guy sitting on the slab or whatever, like Smith. God, that was so bad. And those are designed to be back-to-back sequels, so it should have been more of a natural transition. Right. Whereas this was very good about, you knew it was two parts, but it still had its own conclusion. It still had a place where yeah. you could kind of finalize, this is the end of this story, and if you want to go on... Right, this mission is over, but it's a jumping off point for the next one. Right, exactly. But yeah, overall, pretty good stuff. But uh, hey, what are your thoughts on Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1? Tens of listeners, why not get in touch? Why not let us know what you thought? Give us your words. Send us an email. It's at uh, cicdeaddrop at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on Instagram at Central Intelligence Cinema separated by underscores, which is now also... The same as on threads. So we have expanded our social media to way too many things that there's no way I'm going to be able to keep going all at the same time. <laughs> Honestly, the most, the only thing I'm really going to be on is Instagram and Twitter, but I will try doing all the other ones. <laughs> Twitter is at CIC SpyPod. And believe it or not, yep, that's right. I'm also on Blue Sky Social now, which is also at CICSpyPod.BSKY.Social. And if you can't remember all those things, they will all be at the bottom of the show description of this very episode. But uh, I think we've uh, talked to death uh, pretty much what we can at this moment. Agreed. But uh, we're going to be back real soon for something uh, quite delightful and, and rather 80s themed I might add should be fun but uh yeah with that I'm Ben and I'm Jason and the CIC will return with more missions more martinis and more mayhem